smart about it. We've made we've made good investments and we've made really bad investments, and I wish we hadn't made the bad investments that we made. But it's it's all taught me something. Welcome to the Young Wild Financially Free Podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Hey everybody, welcome to the Young Wild Financially Free Podcast. My name is Andrew Roberts. I'm here with my co-host. Matt Tyfke, what's happening? And today we have a special guest. We're really excited to dive into. He is in the insurance game and he also used to be involved in some politics. Jeff? The mayor, ex-mayor. Ex-mayor. Mayor. That's yeah. cool. Jeff Coleman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. yeah I appreciate it. Of yeah, course. So what I want to dive into is a little bit of your story, but I also want to dive into some of the stuff you have going on with insurance as it pertains to real estate, since that is what we do. We invest in real estate, and that's kind of who we serve and who we want to inspire. Um, but first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I have been in Pflugerville since 2000. I opened a State Farm Insurance Agency in 2000 and then moved into the city in 2001. Um, three great kids, two of which are grown, one of which is a saint, started his senior year today, fabulous wife of 28 years. All right. um, and we uh, started the agency and just started a business. And for the first six years, I did nothing but put my nose to the grindstone and try to grow the business and uh, try to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 2000 and si- late 2006, I had somebody come to me and say, uh, you should run for mayor. And I laughed at him. I, mean, I had not been involved in anything in the city. Uh, I had been president of Northwest Little Miss Kickball uh, <laughs> so for three years, which, quite frankly, if you can run an organization of 300 parents, yeah. uh, a volunteer organization, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So if you can keep the parents in line when they're, talk, when they're dealing with their kids, you can figure out everything else. And so it was actually a pretty good training ground. Um, but I really, you know, I was paying attention to the politics but I uh, really hadn't seriously thought about it. I'd considered running for city council. The thought of mayor had never, ever crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after I got to thinking about it, I looked at the competencies of what the mayor did and what the, kind of what the mayor was trying to do. And I looked at my strengths and thought, you know what, it's a pretty good fit and decided to do it. Oh, so, wow. It was fun. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm really cu- curious about that because my grandpa was a mayor in Ohio, uh-huh. and he was a business guy, and some people came to him and said the same thing. What What is it? I mean, did they just have a certain need, and they saw that you were the good guy for it, or, or what kind of made that happen? Yeah, so I was involved in the chamber. A number of the current city council was on. It was in the chamber. So they had seen me. I had applied for a couple of boards, mm-hmm. um, just volunteer boards in the city and the development corporation. And I'd been turned down. Every, you know, I'd tried twice, and twice I was turned down. But it got me in front of them. And I have a uh, communications degree from what was Corpus Christi State University, now Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Islanders, yeah. baby. Yeah, there we go. Uh, not when I was there, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm too old. Uh, but... So I think they had just seen that. Um, Pflugerville was going through an interesting, uh, an interesting time. In 2004, a 29-year-old uh, beat uh, a long-term city councilman who was a businessman in, in city, and she basically just out-hustled him mm. uh, to get the votes. Now, back then, you know, you could win an election with 150, 200 votes. Right. Because uh, there was, you know, Pflugerville was little back in the early 2000s. And... So she beat him, but he was, you know, he was kind of the old guard of Pflugerville. Well, the rest of the council was the old guard of Pflugerville. Mm. 
and they didn't like the new mayor. The new mayor didn't, she didn't particularly like them. And they literally argued about everything. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything. And back then you could, you could watch the, the, the council meetings on one of the public access channels on cable. Um, and I did that. I'm a political junkie. I have a political science degree. I also have a political science degree. So I've always paid attention. And it was quite frankly just embarrassing mm. to watch them because they were arguing about all kinds of stuff. And as a business owner, I need Pflugerville to be economically healthy for 25 years. Mm. And I thought they were making decisions um, that was going to make it hard for me to support my family in the way I wanted to support my family and grow my business. Mm. And so that was really the only reason I was considering it. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it. I had paid attention to the federal level when I was doing my undergraduate work and had just never really paid any attention to city stuff. And so all of a sudden I had to brush up on city stuff and figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, so anyhow, they came to me. There was some controversial stuff going on at the time. Uh, and I looked at it and thought, yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a try. And wow. I was elected in May of 2007. Mm. So you said, I'll do it, and then you just started running the campaign? Yeah, so luckily I had some people. Um, the, at that, by then, there were, uh, I had the entire support. Once again, the council did not like the, the mayor at all. And by then, there had been one, a number of the really old guard uh, Pflugerville councilmen had gone away, and they had been beat by some, by some newer folks, but those newer folks still didn't care for the council or for mm -hmm. the mayor either. And so I had all five of the city councilmen endorse me. Uh, and I had a lady here in Pflugerville that she loves helping with campaigns. Mm -hmm. She's done it for 15 years, and she just likes helping get people elected. And so she was kind of the, the, the driving force behind me because I didn't know what to do. And right. we started literally, you know, it, it goes back to that old school retail politics where you go and you knock on doors. You say, hi, I'm Jeff Coleman, and I'm running for the mayor of Pflugerville. Mm -hmm. you have any questions or concerns? And you talk to people and you try to figure out what it is that they really con are concerned about. You tell them you can fix that or you can't fix that. Mm -hmm. And through that process, I developed kind of what my platform was, which was, was strong economic development mm -hmm. to move Pflugerville in the right direction while trying to keep our small town charm. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the most point, for the most part, I think that's what we were able to do. Mm -hmm. So I can see how your background in insurance really kind of prepared you for that role at least in your campaign to like go around and talk to people yeah. knock on doors and build relationships with people yeah Did you say that so yeah well i mean i mean obviously an insurance agent's a salesman mm -hmm. uh, that's what we do is we spend all day long it's, and and it's a really hard type of sales because you're selling when when people walk out of my office they walk out of my office with either nothing or a piece of paper mm -hmm. and that's it because it's just a contract it's a we're literally just selling a promise and so you have to explain to people what that promise is. You have to explain why does this particular part of this policy or that policy benefit them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you get into some, some pretty uh, detailed kind of concepts, but you can't explain it on that level. I, I tell people all the time that I speak two languages. I speak real people and I speak insurance mm -hmm. because insurance people don't always speak common sense, real people language, and real people definitely don't speak insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, I speak them both, and so I can be the in-between. So it was the same kind of thing as I learned what was going on at the city, and I had a very definite idea of the direction I thought Pflugerville should go. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been afraid of being what I call the point of the spear, so I'll be out front. 
I'll take the heat, good and, you know, with, with, with taking heat or being in the front means you take the bad, and, but you also take the good. Yeah. And sometimes there was some really, really bad stuff that was going on, and I got punched in the nose, and other times I think people thought we were going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever questioned which direction I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I was always going that direction. And so in my nine years, for the most part, we had a pretty cohesive council. But definitely through the first seven years, there were some issues uh, after the after those uh, first seven years that kind of broke us apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. But on the core things I wanted, which was economic development, uh, we never went backwards. And so when I was elected mayor of Pflugerville, we had about 30,000 people in the city limits um, and maybe another 5,000 in what's called the extraterritorial jurisdiction of the ETJ. Those are people who who live in the, they, they consider themselves living in the city, but they don't pay city taxes because they're not in the city limits. So about 35 to 40,000 people after the nine years was over, we had 60,000, just under 60,000 people in the city limits and another 30,000 people in that extraterritorial jurisdiction. Wow, yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I knew that when I was elected, Walmart had opened the, let's see, I was elected in May and Walmart uh, in Pflugerville opened on in April. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, if you wanted to go buy a pair of socks in Pflugerville, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. There was not a store that you could go buy socks at. We had one HEB, and then when, at that point, we had a huge Albertsons that was empty all the time. Yeah. Uh, and we had the, then Walmart opened. And so then that just started the growth. And so we had all these rooftops coming, but not enough commercial. And so it, it, was, it was crazy that people couldn't buy what they wanted to buy mm-hmm. in their own city, and they had to drive up to I-35, make traffic even worse on I-35, because even back then traffic was bad on I-35. Right. Um, and so it was just a really big deal to me to, to make Pflugerville economically vibrant. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. I know you, so I want to bounce back to, you said you weren't afraid to be uh, the head of the spear. Yeah. And so I'm like wondering, going into that, you, I mean, because you had no interest in running for politics before someone kind of presented it to mm-hmm. you. Um, did you have any fear going into that of being in a leadership position? Um, and if not, I mean, what prepared you for that? I don't know that I'm smart enough sometimes to be scared okay. of the things I should be scared of. Sure. Um, and, you know, the, the people above me at State Farm in the corporate side of it, they were doing everything they could trying to keep me from doing this because they saw if, if you get into a controversial issue, and we had a number of controversial issues over those years, you know, 50% of the people are going to be for you and 50% of the people are going to be against you. And if you – if those 50% of the people decide to leave, it hurts your business. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no question through nine years that I had different groups of people get mad at me and leave my agency, people that I was insuring. So I had to make a decision that, thankfully, I live a very good life. Um, I live the exact kind of life that I always wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And, and with insurance, uh, it's kind of like property management. You, you can afford to lose one house. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to lose 30%, but you can afford to lose one. I can, allude, I can afford to lose a household. Mm-hmm. That's the, it's, I make such a small amount on each product that it's not that big of a deal. So I made a decision that I was going to always make the decision that I thought was best for Pflugerville, not the decision that was going to keep from irritating people, even if they threatened to leave me. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I lost people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had people come to me and say, because you're willing to volunteer, because the mayor of Pflugerville is completely volunteer. Mm-hmm. You don't get paid one penny. Wow. Neither do any of the city council. To this day, they still don't make is any money. Is that Pflugerville, or is, would Round Rock be the same? No, or? Round Rock, they get some kind of a stipend. I 
as I recall, it's five hundred bucks for the councilman and and a thousand dollars a month for the mayor. Oh, but wow. that I could be wrong on that. But they definitely get something. But Pflugerville is just a because of the way Pflugerville developed um, economically, money's always been tight in the city of Pflugerville, mm-hmm. and so we just never felt it was right for the the council and the mayor to get paid. Mm-hmm. And so you just had to make that decision. So I, back to your statement or question, I just had to decide. I was going to make the right decision, even if it cost me some business. Mm-hmm. And it did. But other people came to me because they respected it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I had other people come in and say, I'm, I'm paying more to come to you, but I respect that you're willing to volunteer. Because, you know, I was spending anywhere from 15 to 35 hours a week, every week for nine years mm-hmm. doing that. So it is, right. it is a, it's a huge commitment. I mean, meetings until 2.30, 3.30 in the morning sometimes. Uh, we had council meetings every two weeks. Uh, we had work sessions a couple of times a year on the weekends. And so you just have all kinds of stuff, but you have wow. to make a decision. Mm-hmm. When you're the mayor, is somebody overseeing you? Or is that the council? Are they Citizens. Citizens? Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the flow chart for um, the city of Pflugerville is you have the citizens, and then under the citizens you have the mayor and the council. Uh, and then under that you have the city manager, who is actually the professional that's running the city. And then the city manager um, has assistant city managers, and those assistant city managers have department heads, and it just works its way down. Um, but the mayor and council is at the top of the flow chart other than the citizens, because ultimately the citizens can make a decision if they no longer want you there. Now, there are, you know, there's ethics boards and ethics rules that you have to follow, and if you break those, there's ways for the citizens to remove you. Um, but no, basically the mayor and the council is, is all one and the same. The interesting thing when I was mayor of council about running the council is the mayor did not get a vote unless the mayor was breaking a tie. So in my nine mm. years of, of being mayor, I probably only voted 10 or 12 times because so, it had to be one of my, one of my um, councilmen not there, mm-hmm. and it then had to be a controversial issue. Got and it. so uh, a lot of people would say, why in the world would you do all this and you don't even get a vote? And I probably got what I wanted 70 to 80% of the time because mm-hmm. you had to learn how to work the council. You had to wor- learn how to work the meeting. How do you call for a vote? You had to think through all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that part of it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. So you're leading the vote, leading the meeting, you're, all you're that. You're leading all that without having a vote. Mm-hmm. And so you had to, I, you know, I had to, manipulate's not a good word. Um, <laughs> but in some sense, you know, if, if I thought something was, if I thought, there was counsel on the bubble on an issue that I wanted to pass. Well, I would start off asking the people who I knew were going to vote for it Uh because I'm trying to build momentum so that the people that are still on the fence, that, you know, they hear yes, yes, they have to say no. And it's easier for people. It's just human nature to say yes, yes, yes. Right. And so I had to, you know, and so that goes back to being an insurance agent and and a sales process and getting people to say yes to you when you're trying to sell something. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Works. Yeah. Um, so you said you uh, got elected in 2007. Mm-hmm. May of 2007. Did you have any uh, input on um, who got to announce the football games for Pflugerville High School? No. Because <laughs> I hate that guy. We, <laughs> I played football for Round Rock High School and graduated 2009, and every time we played at Pflugerville, that guy, he would, like, whisper, basically, whenever we had the ball, and he would scream at the top of his lungs. Really? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a school district thing, and that's totally mm-hmm. different. Okay. Well, and I, I, 
I'm trying to think. I used to know who it was. Clyde King was his name. Ooh. I used to insure him. Ah. I insured him for years and years and years. Are you still insure him? We're coming for you, Clyde. <laughs> yeah, Probably. Let's cut him off. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, before I want to dive into kind of what you're doing today. Uh-huh. Uh, before we do, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, which is uh, Texas Best Credit Repair. Um, they are a kind of real estate focused uh, Texas credit repair. And you can get a free quote with them online at texasbestcreditrepair.com. Cool. So with you, kind of similar to them with their real estate, you've got some cool stuff going on with your insurance agency as far as real estate is concerned. Let's dive into that. Yeah. So State Farm has been the uh, number one property and casualty insurer uh, for autos for 75 years and for homeowners somewhere around 60 years. Okay. So we've been, you know, think back 75 years or in our history of the country, any organization that's been number one for that long for something that every American has to have, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so we do it We do it very well. And well, one of the things we do is when we create policies, uh, we really try to figure out the right way to write a policy. And, and so one of the things that we do for people who own rental properties is our policy is it's just the 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 strongest that i've seen in the state most most investors have a policy called a tdp texas dwelling policy Uh, and it's kind of an a la carte policy uh, that you pull together and you you may have the right coverage you may not depending on whether or not the person who sold it to you knew what they were doing and was really willing to spend the time and and a lot of times people say well i want the cheapest i can possibly get not realizing that oh my word, I'm giving up something really huge. Mm-hmm. Well, State Farm made a decision not to do that. And so they came in and, and the policy they have is a package policy. So it's not a policy where you can come in and take little things out and save yourself a few bucks here and there. The price is what the price is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that makes it the absolute strongest is we pay loss of rents. So what's the scenario? So you've got a renter in your home and the renter causes damage to your house that makes it un- make it unlivable. Or maybe just a toilet overflows uh-huh. or a hot water heater overflows and floods the whole house. But the house can't be lived in and it can't be lived, let's say it can't be lived in six weeks, eight weeks. If it's a fire, you know, it may be a year to two years. Well, the state farm policy pays for loss of rents. Mm. Uh, and so it, as an investor, you, you've either got to be continuing to pay your mortgage company Right. If you have a loan on it, if you don't have a loan on it, you're probably living on that rent that you're getting. Well, if you don't have renters in there and you're living and you expect that you need that money every month mm-hmm. to help pay your bills and you have one of these policies that doesn't have loss of rent, you literally have no options. Mm-hmm. Well, with this policy, if your rent is 1500 bucks a month, you're going to get a check for $1,500 a month until the house is livable again. So I was going to ask, so it's depending on the rent that you're actually getting per, yes. per the yeah, lease. It's not, it's not us telling us, to, you know, it's not State Farm saying, well, uh, the average rent in this area is $885. It's mm-hmm. you present your, your lease, they look at it and they make a decision. You know, they say, okay, it's paying $1,500 a month. So that's what they're, that's what they're going to pay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it is a, it's just a great policy. I mean, it covers everything else as well. Obviously, if you have hail damage, if the, the house burns down, we're going to, we're going to pay it. It, it doesn't have, it has a very, very small amount of property damage. Um, and, and that's for, if you have your refrigerator in the house, so personal property, if you leave a lawnmower for the, for the tenants to, mm-hmm. you know, to mow the yard, those kinds of things. 
Um, sometimes I know a lot of a lot of landlords will leave a washer and dryer. Somebody will leave a washer and dryer and they'll leave it there. And then the, in the lease it says if it goes out, we're not fixing it or replacing it. Yep. But you can use it the entire time we're there. Well, so we put in, I think it's $5,000 that covers all that personal property hmm. that, that you have as well. Um, and then you have literally the, the largest claims network in the nation that's standing behind you and, yeah. and trying to do it. So I'm curious how often that happens. So I don't know if you have any statistics on that, but let's say there's a thousand people, a thousand investors that have rental properties. Is, is this something that happens pretty frequently? I, I know it's good to have it, but like, you know, I don't have any statistics yeah. on, on how often it happens. Um, total fires don't happen very often. Right. Uh, as an agent, uh, I insure about 700 to 800 homes in the Flugerville area, and I've had one total fire in okay. my career. So okay. that doesn't occur very often. What happens a lot more is a, a pipe underneath the, the sink breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, or or a hot, really the hot water heater is probably the biggest culprit, especially hot water heaters up in attics, which whoever came up with that yeah. should be shot because <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, but so when a hot water heater rusts out at the bottom and starts flooding the house, God forbid that somebody's on vacation that week. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've literally had policyholders call me and say, Jeff, I'm on vacation and my next door neighbor just called me and said, there's water leaking out of my front door. Mm. Can you go look at it yeah. uh, and, and do that? In those situations, the houses cannot be, they, they can't be lived in. I had it, I had it, uh, yeah. a house on Deepwood like oh, yeah. two days ago. Yeah. yeah, Plumbing, you know, something to do. We're still trying to figure it out. Something with the city oh. hitting a, a plumbing, uh, a pipe, and mm-hmm. now the, the house got flooded. So yeah, we're nice. dealing with yeah, and so that's right what now. the policy is for. Right. On the opposite end, I've I've had clients that are renters. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year we had a rent just somebody who had a renter's policy, which a renter's policy with State Farm typically cost one hundred and twenty five bucks a year. It's twenty thousand yeah. dollars in coverage. It's cheap, cheap, cheap. Um, and they uh, had a they were on the bottom floor, as I recall, and two stories above, somebody had a leak under their sink, and mm-hmm. so water started draining down. And it drained down into her into her apartment and right. making her apartment unlivable because they have to come in with the you know they cut drywall out they come right. in with the big fans all that kind of stuff so she was out of her house for a couple of weeks the state farm policy paid for her hotel room for the entire time she was out of her house yeah. really cool. so not only do we help the investors the landowners the property owners but also the renters so we can do both sides both sides of that right mm-hmm. wow yeah. and you also had a house in Corpus that. Yeah, fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really it happens. Yeah, yeah. It, it it happens, and 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 that's what I tell, that's what I tell people, and it's really what I tell investors a lot, is what our job is is to manage risk mm-hmm. so that you don't suffer a devastating financial loss. Now, some people a devastating financial loss a thousand bucks, and what I find with most investors, it's it's not anywhere near that. It's five, seven, ten thousand dollars. They're they're okay taking that kind of risk. Mm-hmm. Because they're in, because they're investors, because they're entrepreneurs, they're okay with a little risk. Um, what they what they can't afford is the house to burn down. They can't afford to lose their their renters for six months. That's the stuff that they can't afford. Right. Um, and so that happens enough to where it makes it where you really want to make sure that they're not doing it. So the state farm policy to because we have, we offer all this big money stuff, we actually have a three percent deductible. 
And when State Farm first came out with a 3% deductible, so if the house is insured for $200,000, it's gonna be a $6,000 deductible. And I was bemoaning the fact there's no way I'm going to get investors to take a policy out with three thousand dollar with with a with a three percent deductible. Mm-hmm. In the ten years we've had that, I've only had two or three people turn it down because of the deductible. Really? Because once again, you explain that, but the price is so low. Yeah. So you've got the house insured for two hundred thousand dollars, and we're six hundred and fifty bucks a year. They're willing to take the risk because they're going to fix most investors, um, either through guys like you, real estate company, or just their own network. They have, you know, handymen. They have guys who can fix drywall. They have plumbers. They have people that can go in and fix the little stuff pretty quickly and move yeah. on. It's the big, it's the big loss that they're worried about, mm-hmm. and, and we handle that better than anybody. Got it. Wow. Yeah. So I'm curious about the the company in general. Yeah. Like, is it a privately owned company? Is it like, how is the ownership of the? You mean bit? State Farm? Yeah. So State Farm is actually a mutual company. Okay. So there are basically two types of insurance companies. One is stock companies. So think Progressive, Geico, um, Allstate. Those are stock-owned companies. Okay. And then there's mutual companies. Mutual companies are owned by the policyholders. So our company, State Farm, is, is actually owned. When you sign a contract with State Farm, if you go through and read all the stuff, you're actually assigned an ownership piece oh. of State Farm. Well, the theory behind that is that stock companies have to make numbers every quarter. So they make decisions sometimes very quickly uh, because they've got, they've got a report coming up and they've got to do something to make the investors happy. Mm-hmm. Mutual companies don't have to do those things on, on as quickly. And so they can take a much longer term view. It's one of the reasons I think we've been number one as long as we have been because we're not worried about the short term uh, amount. Right. We're worried about everything else. And State Farm has right now, as a, last I saw, is $112 billion dollars sitting in the bank to cover losses. So we, a couple of years ago, um, the guys making the rates, they made some bad decisions uh, and the company lost over $7 billion in a year. One year they lost $7 billion and it wasn't even a hiccup to them. Okay, now they didn't like losing $7 billion and they made all kinds of changes to make sure that never happens again. But every employee got paid, every claim got paid mm-hmm. nobody you know you, you see stuff every year in california with all the wildfires yeah and you hear about company abc that went out of business because they weren't expecting this little cluster of houses that they had insured to all burn down at one time mm-hmm. that's never going to ha- happen with state farm mm-hmm. we have enough money to take care of all of that kind right. of stuff and the money that a insurance company makes do they go invest that I've- yeah, and I don't know everything about that part of it, but yeah. no, they absolutely are. Insurance companies are some of the big invest, some of the biggest investors. Right, I know they're like big lenders and they own yeah. real estate a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, so uh, st- I don't think State Farm has a ton of real estate. We do a lot of bonds. Okay. You know? So State Farm invests very, very heavily in bonds. Why? Because they're safe. Mm-hmm. And State Farm is incredibly conservative. Um, you know, sometimes the sales guy thinks they're way too conservative. I would love for them to give some of that $112 billion back yeah. so that we could lower rates. Right. But they want to make sure that if half of California burns down, we've got enough money to take care of that. You know, so they take the whole, I don't want you to suffer a devastating financial loss and very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, are you an investor yourself? A uh, little bit. I okay. own an office condo in Round Rock. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. Over uh, off of Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Okay. I uh, bought that last year, and I have one rental property. I had a rental property in Hutto that I bought um, in 2014, maybe, 
uh, for $135,000, and in 2016 it was worth $200,000. And so I, I went ahead and made a decision to sell. And right. I, I just couldn't turn away the money. Yeah. Uh, but then last year I sold an office my building was in, and I had 1031 money to spend. Very and cool. so I bought a residential house, and my daughter's actually living in that while she's going to nursing school. And oh, then we'll just awesome. start regularly renting coming up. And then I have this office condo over on Joe DiMaggio. Cool, the, le- cool. the Legends, too, I think, is where yeah, I'm Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah. What, who leases that? Uh, Teleprice. Okay. okay. A company out of California. I have no idea what they do, but they pay their bills every <laughs> month on time. All right. There you that go. is exactly what you're looking it's for. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of just saw opportunities a little bit here and there, yeah. and you just took them yeah. as far yeah. as real estate investing. Absolutely. Yeah, I would like to get into more real estate. Uh-huh. Um, I've actually got some other stuff that's not um, – it's pretty risky and not in uh, any kind of real estate. But if that pays off, then that money that's coming back is going to go into real estate. Gotcha. Because uh, I'm, I, you know, I, I definitely have my stocks, but I'm tired of seeing them go up fifteen thousand dollars and drop sixteen thousand. Right. And go up fifteen. It's been a rough week too. This oh week. my word. Yeah. 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 It's been it's been ugly the last. You know, well, I mean, it was really good three weeks ago. Right, and, I know. It was and, December was bad, and then yeah, now is really bad. Yeah, it's just yeah. up and down, up and down. And so I'm, I'll always play in that space a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would like to, to um, get into real estate more. I bought a building in downtown Pflugerville that my office was in for six years, uh, but it was too big for me and made a decision that I needed to, to get out. So I put it on the market. Uh, made a pretty decent amount of money back off of it, All right. and then turned around, and that's what I put into the the condo and the rental house. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah, very cool. So, with um, your career in insurance, mm-hmm. what's the? I mean, it seems like you enjoy it. it seems like you yeah. really like helping people, and yeah. um, that's just kind of like who you are, mm-hmm. your character. Um, so, is there any exit strategy with that? Like, do you see yourself doing this for? I mean, a long time yeah, in the future? So state farm agents are a little, we're a little different breed. We don't own our book of business. Okay. So most agents own their book of business. When they get ready to tire, they, you know, there's some formula that they go out and they find another agent somewhere or some young entrepreneur that wants to become an agent and they sell so, their business to them. Uh-huh. State farm agents don't do that. The day we walk away, we walk away and we don't get another penny after Interesting. that. Interesting. Wow. And so um, it means that, that what I will do will be a very long term. So I've been an agent 19 years. Um, the earliest I'll retire is 70. Okay. Uh, but because of the way insurance works, I have a very good team. I have a team of three people. And uh, two, of my, two of my incredible salespeople want to be around until they retire. Uh-huh. Well, there's, if, if uh, I'm a scuba diver. My, my wife is the only female scuba diver instructor in the Austin market. And so we dive wherever we can as often as we can. And um, so our goal is to start diving more and more and more. We have one son left in school and we got to get him graduated and out. And then we anticipate being on the road a lot and I'll let my team take care of things. So I'll keep an agency, I'll have a sign, but I, the plan is not to be there every day. Got it. Very cool. Um, well, one last thing before we yep. kind of close out. So um, as like a message to young entrepreneurs, uh, real estate investors, hustlers, what's like your one piece of advice as far as like um, reaching success? Find somebody that's been successful mm-hmm. and learn from them, mm-hmm. number one. Um, that would be the biggest thing. Don't be afraid to take a little risk because okay. the risk is the risk is there. But manage that risk. Um, you know, be smart about it. We've made we've made good investments and we've made really bad investments. And I wish we hadn't made the bad investments that we made. But it's it's all taught me something. Sure. But but definitely 
talking to people who have done it and not thinking, yeah, I'm 28, I'm 32, I'm 38, whatever the age is, I've got this stuff figured out. Um, there are people out there that have been doing it a long time and that have been very successful at it. And most of those people want to talk about it. Right. They're not afraid to talk about things. I, that's what I learned very early in insurance is if you just ask the right question and shut up, people want to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. You just have to learn not to say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to let them talk right. and then you can learn all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. That's great, man. Yeah. I love it. I love that advice. Yeah, very cool. Um, so for the listeners, how can they find out more about you, um, reach out to you for business? Yep. So Jeff Coleman, State Farm Insurance Agency. I can sell anywhere in the state of Texas. Uh, you can. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Jeff Coleman, State Farm Agent. Uh, I'm on the web, uh, www.jeffdisandavidcoleman.com. Some guy in, Fla in Florida bought jeffcoleman.com and doesn't uh, use it. What and refused. He said, one day I'm going to use it. I'm not, you know, I don't know when. <laughs> And so I had to stick my middle initial in there. <laughs> oh, man. And so it was very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, that was back in like 2005. Yeah. It was very frustrating. But um, so you can catch me there on Facebook. I answer a messenger and be found in all those kind of places. Got it. Very cool. Um, okay. Well, once again, this uh, podcast is sponsored by uh, Texas Best Credit Repair. Um, you can find them at TexasBestCreditRepair.com. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Great. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. It.